Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. And this is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of a series on governing during pandemic. We're talking with local elected officials, public officials, and community activists to learn more about how local governments and organizations are responding and adapting to our shifting needs during this public health crisis. Still public nine. health crisis. Yeah. <laughs> month one million of the public health crisis. March. Oh. What is the March? It's March, you know, 10,000. And- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the longest march there's ever been. Good. Yes. Molly. Yeah, so we're still talking about the pandemic. But in all seriousness, uh, this episode, we're focusing on contact tracing. Um, and honestly, early in the pandemic, um, we were really interested in kind of exploring this topic a little bit more. Um, and I know we talked early on with Dr. Scott Kelly uh, about kind of the technologies that are available for contact tracing, um, but we hadn't yet talked to someone who was doing it, right, who, who's actually been um, working in the role of a contact tracer in part because, well, our public health departments are super busy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we had several contacts and we had several agree and then just getting explosions. Uh, just, just no time. Just no time. So uh, this is this is a long term goal of ours was to finally get to talk to a contact tracer. Yeah, and I think it. You know that we were motivated in part not just because contact tracing is such an essential tool as part of containing spread um, and addressing COVID nineteen, but also because both of us have had experiences with either directly with contact tracers or um, talking with people who are going through it. Um. Yeah. So one of my, my, my best friend, actually her family all got COVID. And uh, first of all, when, when you find out the people that you're close with and that are important to you, my cousin also had gotten it um, contract this thing that we know is deadly uh, it's it's terrifying. And I think, I mean, one of the things you said, like you were shaking, that was the the sense is yeah. like, oh my gosh, is this, is this it? Yeah. I mean, I had a family member that tested positive and I had been in proximity to that person. Um, so we were, we were contacted and had to go into quarantine. And, but that, um, that, that initial conversation um, when we were notified that the, this person who was really close to me had contracted it, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was trembling, and I interestingly didn't cry. Um, <laughs> almost, it was like it was like beyond like the pan. It was panic in that moment. It was terrifying. Yeah, and in both of our cases, right, it had been a long time through this uh, before folks that that are close to us got it, and so. They had been actively trying to avoid it. They had been wearing masks. They had been social distancing. They had been doing all that stuff. Uh, and still, you know, the virus finds a way. So, uh, you know, after the initial panic uh, subsides, I, I I said, listen, let me know. I'm, I'm curious to see what the contact tracers ask. And they're, they're in a different state. They're not in Ohio. And uh, they, they actually never were contacted by contact tracers. And... Uh, 
one of them actually ended up in the hospital for a week. So, I, I mean, this was this was some serious cases. And I know that there are counties out there and states out there that don't have a lot of resources. Um, and it's, I guess, in many cases, not surprising that everybody can't be contacted or it can't be contacted right away because, frankly, they just they don't have enough people to to do the contact tracing. Yeah. And so you couple kind of what we've talked about previously in terms of thinking about like the governance end of it, right? The, the, the resources necessary to be able to carry out this work are so intense. Um, and right now we're in the middle of an, a, a spike. Uh, hopefully yeah. it's the largest spike. Hopefully it doesn't continue to spike. And um, so the resource demands are so high, right? So people who are working in these spaces are dealing with these resource demands and high case loads in trying to do it. And on the flip side, people are emotional basket cases. And I'll say that fully owning my own <laughs> response, right? Which is, I'm pretty certain I wasn't in my best state to be able to respond to all the questions that they were asking fully coherently. And I was kind of doing it through another person. It was a complicated situation. I had kids around me, <laughs> right? And um, And so these people who are working in this space are kind of squeezed with kind of resource demands and, and doing this work to make sure that they are really addressing um, kind of the biggest challenge we faced. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'm understating that. I, I feel like, you know, sometimes I feel like I, I exaggerate a lot, but I'm pretty, I feel like this is a huge. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, this is the biggest challenge that our public health officials have probably ever had to face. Um, and, uh, and, and you're right on their end, there's low resources and on, on the end of, of folks that can contract this, there's a panic that washes over you. And then you have to answer questions. How do you remember all the places you've been, you know, in the last yeah. week? <laughs> uh, it's, it's a real challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, uh, being able to talk to someone who's working in this role um, and can talk to us about kind of thinking about this, the, the role of the contact tracer, both in the context of governing during a pandemic, but also in the context of what it means to be civically and politically engaged, I think is really powerful. So really excited to have uh, Jacob with us today. All right. Today we have with us Jacob Dudley. Jacob is a recent graduate of Kent State University um, and a, with a bachelor's degree uh, in applied conflict management. Jacob has been highly active in community-focused groups and activities for years, including Pride Kent, the Rainbow Squirrel Festival, and other grassroots organizing and activism efforts. Currently, he works as a contact tracer for a local health department in an effort to fight and contain the COVID-19 pandemic in his community. We're super excited to have you with us today, Jacob. Super excited to be here. Fantastic. So I want to get started by just asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. And kind of with that, how did you become a contact tracer? What's the story? Uh, so a little bit about myself. Um, I, I pretty much was born and raised in the Kent area, which is why I wound up going to Kent State. Uh, and then I, like you just said, I recently graduated there, class of uh, 2020. It's It was an eventful end to my time at Kent State. I can only oh imagine. Oh my God, I just realized. Yeah, yeah I, still, um, I still haven't had my, uh, my official in-person graduation yet, but... 
I at least have my diploma, which is what you really need to get by. <laughs> but, um, right. That's your point. Yeah, so uh, it, it's definitely been an interesting time, uh, both as a recent graduate and as uh, someone who is very active in organizing uh, during the last few months and really this last year in general, because, I mean, with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's just thrown everything We've noticed it, it's turned the world upside down as we know it, and it it definitely has had major impacts for everyone. But it did also present the opportunity for uh, the job that I find myself in now, and I actually found out about it through a family friend of mine uh, who had heard about it, and he sent it to me and said, this could actually be a very unique use of your uh, conflict management skills. Uh <laughs> and I agreed, and the health department I work with uh, agreed as well, and so I got the job, and I uh, have been there since about mid-September. Wow, okay, that's awesome. Can, so can you tell us a little bit about your work? What is contact tracing, and what does a contact tracer do, like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so contact tracing is essentially um, finding out who are the positive cases uh, in a community, people who have tested positive for COVID-19 and we reach out to them. We get their contact info and we basically figure out who they may have been around uh, whenever they were infectious. And the idea behind it is to try and catch as many of those people as we can in the event that they also uh, become positive cases as well in the hope that if we can catch them soon enough before they start developing symptoms, we can catch them before they can spread it to other people. And it's, it's one of many different uh, containment strategies that uh, local public health officials and state public health officials can use to try and uh, stop the spread of the virus, along with things like mass mandates, curfews, things like that. It's, it's, it's another tool in the box that we can use to try and stop spreads and outbreak. The day-to-day usually just kind of follows that pattern. We, we get assigned our cases uh, we give those cases a call, and then we try and reach out to the people that they may have been around and get them into quarantine as quickly as possible. And uh, uh, it, it can vary uh, between how many cases you have and how responsive people are to you. It can really vary day-to-day and case-to-case, really. And even contact-to-contact. Sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to cut you off. Do you have, like, a set list of questions that you ask folks and do you get a lot of resistance from folks to being willing to kind of respond to these things? Oh yeah. So there, there is prepared questions that we ask um, uh, because we, we, we do our best to try and limit what we do solely to the COVID-19 case itself and information pertaining to that. We, we try not to pry too much into unnecessary information to protect people's privacy and to make them more comfortable with sharing info. I mean, yeah, you do meet, there have been cases where I've met no resistance and people have been very cooperative, very helpful, very willing to share information. And I've had cases where people just straight up hang up on me as soon as I introduce myself. I mean, it, it, like I said, it varies from case to case. The vast majority of people are, are at least willing to give us info, if a little begrudgingly. Uh, it, it's actually pretty rare at least in my experience in the cases that i've worked that people are like vehemently opposed to sharing info with you it's only been a handful of cases in the countless ones that i've done 
though again that also can vary from tracer to tracer because i've had i've heard many many stories from from other people who i work with that have much more difficult people to contact <laughs> yeah so i mean i think that is like really in line with with a question i have too um there's still a ton of skepticism about covid19 somewhat baffling to me <laughs> but it exists so I, <laughs> me i'm owning that as my position <laughs> how does how does that skepticism kind of play into how you have to interact with people i mean you're also a conflict management person so i have to imagine that there's some real similarities in how you approach people and how you engage with people and have these conversations that that offer some that that those skills kind of translate in that play that way yeah definitely and it's it can be it can be a very delicate balancing act uh, <laughs> when addressing skepticism. Uh, I found, at least in the way I do it, the best way to address that skepticism is to meet people where they are, uh, acknowledge that they do have doubts, and that there is a lot of uncertainty in the world right now, and make sure that they understand that it's completely valid to have those doubts, while at the same time giving them as much clear and accurate information as I can to try and get them to understand that even if they have their doubts, it's best for them and for their communities to cooperate with us and to work with us to try and contain this spread. I think that's, I, I really appreciate you saying that, especially since I framed it with like, I don't understand why. <laughs> so I, I appreciate that response. I think it's um, really helpful to think about it that way too in the, in the interpersonal relationship um, being so so important. Well, and I think another thing too is that with we are living in unprecedented times. Like we have not seen a disease or a, a public health crisis on this scale in over a hundred years. No, pretty much no one we know has lived through something like this, and that brings a lot of fear and uncertainty to people. And fear and uncertainty lead to confusion and anger and uh, I guess fear, but I guess fear begets more fear. And so it, it's completely understandable in my eyes as to why people don't want to think this is happening, that something this severe and a crisis of this magnitude, it can't be happening. But it's also important that we try and drive point the home that unfortunately this is happening and it's inf impacting our friends, our family and our communities. And that's why it's important for us all to work together to try and contain it. What surprised you the most in doing this work so far? I think for me personally, it was seeing the both the scale of the COVID-19 epidemic, even on just a local community level. But not just that, but the personal scale of it. Because when you see the daily uh, briefings with uh, the governor and uh, his officials, like you see the numbers and you see the increases and the spikes and that, that kind of lends itself to its own worrying scale. But when you do what I do, like I see lists with not just numbers, but names and contact people and speak to them. And you just see the full scale of this crisis and just how widespread it is and what a, uh, daunting challenge we as a community and as a state and as a nation are facing right now. And I think, I think that is what uh, surprised me the most when I started doing this work. Yeah, Jacob, I mean, you, you really speak to something that uh, just 
kind of started to occur to me, which was that, so your comment reminds me of something that I think just occurred to me, like literally within the last 48 hours, which is that you're right. I see these numbers and, and I, I, I see the data and I listen to the governor and it seems like, yeah, I mean, this is bad, but uh, my daughter's high school sends out email announcements every time one of the students or one of the faculty or staff gets sick and Every day there's this announcement and there's this email, there's two more kids, there's three more kids, there's one more. And it's, it is uh, much more personal to me, even though I don't know who it is exactly. It's like, this is home, right? This is near me. This is, uh, this is something that is in my community. So that brings me to my next question, which is you came to this work from a background in organizing, and that is very much community-based, yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit about how your organizing work and if or how contact tracing is similar in any way for you? Yeah, definitely. And also, I just wanted to pick up on something you said about how like the personal connection impacts you. And that is very true because, I mean, I've come across names that I know on those mm-hmm. lists wow. and I've talked to people that I know and it puts it on a whole new level yeah. because yeah. it is you realize this is your community. These are the people that you care about the most. And I think that that is the strongest tie between this and other community work that I've done is that you do this work because you care so much about your community and the people in it and the people you know in it. And you're trying to do the work to make things better for them and for everyone. And I think that, that, that was the, uh, the biggest, uh, the biggest connection that I've found. And, uh, a lot of those skills do sir, ha- that I've developed in my time with uh, community organizing have translated well to this as well, because you, in my past roles, like with Pride Kent and Rainbow Squirrels, I worked with people who were going through difficult times or sometimes the worst times. And you work with people who are scared and who are uncertain about things. And it helps you to develop not just your ability to help connect people with resources and uh, ways to help them, but it also helps you develop your empathy, which I think is an invaluable skill, both in this job that I'm doing now and in community organizing as a whole is being able to understand people and their feelings and their emotions to the best of your ability and trying to relate as much as you can. So that way you can better serve their needs and better serve them uh, to your own ability. And so I think, I think that's probably been the most important carryover is that development of empathy and connecting with people where they are and learning to help them understand their own feelings and concerns and worries while at the same time, connecting them with resources and information to help assuage some of those feelings and uh, get them set up in the right place for where they are right now. So, so you've been, uh, you've been doing this work since September. Um, we are recording in November, um, (laughs) and this should come out at the end of November, right? So in just a couple weeks, um, this will be released. So you haven't been doing it for a long time, but definitely long enough, uh, for this to kind of, I mean, you're talking about, um, emotional labor, right? Like you're mm-hmm. investing in people's well-being. You're listening to really complicated emotional responses, and and this is also it, it's a pandemic where we are also seeing death counts increase, right? Like so, I, I yeah. you know, there, there's a lot of weight to the work that you're doing. 
What keeps you motivated to do this work? Uh, I mean, it, it definitely gets hard. Like this has probably been the most emotionally taxing job that I've <laughs> ever worked uh, because you do, you do have to put a lot into it because you're, you're dealing with both people who are in emotional crisis themselves. You're dealing with people who are emotionally fatigued by everything going on. And you're dealing with people who are, we call it, we, we tend to call them difficult cases <laughs> who, who don't want to cooperate with you. And, and that's all magnified by just the sheer number of cases that we're seeing across the state right now is it, it takes a lot. And, takes its toll i think for me the reason why i keep doing it is again that that love of community and the feeling of doing the work to keep people safe and to keep my community safe uh and just finding drive to keep keep going even when it's getting difficult and so and i think the other thing too is finding a way to to balance it out where I'm taking care of my community, but I'm also making sure to take care of myself during this time. Cause that, I think that's something that for a lot of people, it's easy to forget about taking care of yourself and doing what you need to do uh, to, to keep yourself healthy. Cause at the end of the day, if I'm not able to do the job, if I, if I uh, starts get to stress to the point where I'm not able to function, then I can't help anyone. And so it's important to try and find and manage that balance and find ways to uh, cope with the emotional labor and the emotional toll that this work can take and finding a way to kind of cope with that and uh, develop, I guess, your emotional endurance. Now, here at the Growing Democracy Project, we're pretty invested in you know the power of civic and political engagement. Clearly, you are too. You have an organizing background. From your perspective, why is it so important to be civically and politically engaged in our communities? And do you see contact tracing as you know one of many ways to be engaged? Uh, yeah, I think it's very important for people to be uh, civically and politically engaged, uh, if only for the fact that we all have a stake in our communities, and we should we should recognize that and make sure that we take advantage of that. Uh, because I think it's very easy for people to think that they don't have a lot of power or a lot of say, especially when they think of like big scale civic and political engagement, like national level stuff. But I think, I think people take for granted how much power they actually have on the local level, especially when they network and communicate with other community members. And I think it's just very important to take that role because, uh, like I said, we all have a stake. We all have a role to play in our communities and therefore we should all have a say in what happens in our communities and we should all work to make our communities better. And to that end, I think contact tracing on both ends of the phone are, are important tools uh, for uh, civic engagement uh, because it's both us reaching out to our community members to make sure that they're safe and healthy and are able to manage their symptoms and, uh, good and healthy ways and that they're not getting any worse, but it's also important for them to respond to us and answer our questions and give us the info of who they've been around. So that way we can continue to do that and to uh, help keep our entire community safe and uh, help to try and get this pandemic under control, both here and across the country. 
I appreciate that so much. Like, <laughs> I just, I got, when I was, when I'm, when I was thinking about it, I was like, Oh, what you're doing for sure is, you know, civic engagement. You're helping your, your community. You're, you're getting paid for it, but you're also helping your community. But the fact that you said that part of this is also our responsibility to participate um, in the process when we're contacted. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. Cause I, well, I honestly was not, I wasn't even thinking about it. Well, and also like not just for contact tracing, but other public health measures too, like making sure you're wearing your mask when you go out in public, that you're washing your hands thoroughly, that you are staying home if you start feeling any kind of symptoms and just taking those steps are how you, it's weird to think that by staying at home can be a form of civic engagement, (laughs) but, but like staying home when you don't have to go out is also a great way to help keep our community safe and to slow the spread of this virus. But you can tell that Ashley and I are really civically engaged because we haven't <laughs> left our home since March. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have uh, pretty much been doing that as well. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Um, and honestly, I, I, we've talked about this on a couple other episodes too. But the podcast was really one of our ways of both coping with the enormity of what was happening um, and being able to talk to people and hear people's stories and create an opportunity to amplify people's stories. So kind of on that end, but also in a way, our way of being engaged when we felt like we couldn't do a lot of the things that we would typically be doing. And so, you know, finding new ways to, to do this type of work and in some ways uh, glad that we had the opportunity. I think that's also kind of important thing to know too during this time is because we've been talking about a lot about community and community organizing and being a part of your community. And I think a lot of people have taken this to mean like we can't engage with our communities and that we can't uh, do things with our communities. When I think really what it is, is we, we need to take this time to rethink what community means and what community engagement and participation means. Cause this right here, this podcast is still a form of community engagement. I think that's what we need, especially now with this surge in cases is, rethinking what what it means to be together and be a part of a community and finding new ways to to reach out with to each other and connect with each other and participate with each other so like finding ways to do things virtually or socially distant or things like that and uh just uh and it's not necessarily a matter of we can't do things anymore because that's how it gets framed a lot of times oh we're not allowed to we're not allowed to have fun anymore it's, you can still have fun you just it, it, take this as a chance to get creative with your fun and think of how to have fun in new ways with people yeah so i want to um i just want to end by asking if there's anything else you want to say to our audience words of wisdom to our listeners uh, yeah. anything you want to mention i know right now things seem really for lack of a better term bleak it seems like we've been we've been in this pandemic for so long uh it's been almost a year now and uh we we're we're seeing probably the worst spike we've seen probably since the start of this so i know it seems very very bleak and very gloomy right now but there is an end to this even if we don't know exactly when that will be and that it's important for us all to stay in this fight against this virus and uh, just stay in it together because the only way we will get through this is if we keep working together as communities and as public health experts and as families and as friends 
and as community members with stakes in the health and well-being of our community. So just don't let up. I know, I know a lot of people have, we, the, the phrase got coined quarantine fatigue. I, because believe me, I've not really left my house at all. And I'm definitely feeling that fatigue, but we can't let up because the quarantines and the staying home is what will keep our community safe and healthy. And through working together, we can see the end of this sooner rather than later. Thanks so much, Jacob. We really appreciate you having on the show. It was fabulous. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was, it was great to talk to you both. Thanks for listening to the growing democracy podcast. I'm Casey Boyd Swan and my co-host is Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is edited by Jeremy Demery at Golden Ox Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio, and supported by the American Political Science Association. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. Join us next time when we continue this conversation about governing during pandemic, and don't forget to wear your mask.